Okay, <clears throat> we'll be in Proverbs chapter 3, and we'll do verses 1 to 12 uh, this afternoon, because I did uh, talk to Madison this morning, and they have another event today, so um, we'll be out, try to be out by 3 o'clock. So we'll do the first 12 verses, it's a longer chapter, uh, so let's focus on the first 12 verses. Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights." Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord, praying, Lord, that we ourselves would not despise the discipline of the Lord, but that we would see that your love and kindness, Lord, is found in your discipline, and that, Lord, you would discipline us today by your word. Lord, using your word as a fire to consume the chaff that remains within us, Lord, to destroy whatever remains of sin and of the flesh. And Lord, using it to purify us so that what is left is pure gold and silver. So Lord, we pray that you would do this for us today. Lord, that you would continue to increase our faith and sanctify us by your word. Your word is the truth. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so Proverbs chapter 3. Here again, the prophet is continuing to commend to his son and to commend to all of us the good, the blessing, the rewards of the wisdom of God. And again, this is the wisdom of God found in the Word of God. The wisdom of God that makes us wise into salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Everything in the Bible, from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, is dealing with some aspect of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Right? Everything is related to this topic the Bible is itself teaching us the gospel of Jesus Christ from cover to cover, and everything relates and finds its fulfillment in Him. And again, it is this wisdom that ultimately leads to salvation. And it is the rejection of this wisdom that will lead to eternal damnation and condemnation in the lake of fire. So it is very important. That's what he's putting before us here. This is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. This is the way that we have to teach these things. I don't know of any other way to teach them. I don't know of any other way to preach them, but to put it out as an issue of life and death. Now, there are many who, they don't like that. They want everything to be gray. They want everything to be take it or leave it, a matter of opinion, a matter of preference here or there. That it doesn't matter what we believe, we're all going to make it to heaven one day. But this is not what the prophet is teaching here, and it's not what's taught in the rest of the Bible. Even in the psalm that we're doing right now, Psalm 119, He's speaking of these things as issues of life and death, life and death, right? Blessing and destruction. And this is as he continues to do here, warning us of trusting in our own wisdom, which is a common temptation, right? No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Common temptations are to think that we are wiser than God, that we have better discernment, better understanding, that our perceptions are greater than the perceptions of God found in the Bible, that we can have another way, a different way, a better way than God's way. But we can't do this, right? We can't do this. We have to trust in the Lord and not lean on our own understanding. And this is what he is teaching us here today. So let's begin there in verse 1. He says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Here he's reminding him to not forget the teaching. You know the teaching. I've taught you already. But you need to remember the teaching, right? You need to remember it and not forget it. You have to persevere in it. 
Right? This is as in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the soils. They all heard the word of God, but some of them forgot the teaching. They forgot the word of God. The one forgot immediately, the one that was sown there among the path, because Satan came and plucked it out of his heart. But the other, the one in the rocks and the one among the thorns, they remembered it momentarily. They remembered it for a short while, but ultimately it did not bear any good fruit, and they forgot what they had formerly heard. Here he's telling him, you cannot forget the teaching. You have heard the teaching. I'm reminding you of the teaching, but you must persevere in these things until when? Until the day of your death, right? You must continue in these things. We cannot forget the word of God. This is why we need to be together. As it says in Hebrews chapter 10, not neglecting, not forsaking the assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be together to remind each other to put these things before one another's eyes so that we will be spurred on to love and good deeds because we have a short memory and we easily forget, we easily get distracted by the things of this world and we need to be reminded. This is the duty of the minister. This is what my whole job is, is to get up and to remind you of things. I'm not teaching you new things, things that you do not know, things that you've never heard before. If that was the case, then you should probably throw me out. But it is to remind you of what you already know, but what you need to be reminded of over and over and over again. And isn't the Bible doing this from cover to cover? The Bible is teaching the same truths over and over and over again, saying the same things in many different ways because we need to be reminded of these things. That's what he's doing here. Do not forget my teaching. When there is something important something that we need to know, something, some wisdom or some knowledge that we're wanting to communicate to our children that's very important to them, do we just tell them one time and then move on? No, we tell them and we remind them over and over. We tell them to write it down, right? We might tell them four or five times or 10 times, right? We tell them over and over again because it's so important. Well, this is how it is with the word of God. We need to be reminded over and over again because the content is so important, because we're dealing with issues of life and death, eternal life and eternal death. So we have to take it very seriously and we need to be reminded of these things. We cannot think that we can just go through a ritual and then we have secured our spot in heaven and now we can go along living however we want. We never have to pick up the Bible again. We never need to hear another sermon. We never need to go to another Bible study because everything is all right between us and God. We're going to make it to heaven and we don't need to think about these things. No, we need to be reminded over and over again. Second Peter chapter one, second Peter chapter one, verse 13. He says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. There, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, meaning as long as I'm in my body, as long as I have my present life, then what I'm going to do is continue to stir you up by way of reminder. I'm going to preach the gospel to you over and over and over again. Then also, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. It says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand, by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. He's writing to them again to stir up their mind by way of reminder. And again, many of the truths taught in 2 Peter, he already taught in 1 Peter. And now he's teaching them again. And part of what he's reminding them is to remember the prophets and to remember the apostles. Amen. Reminding them to remember the prophets and the apostles, the Word of God. Also, while we're here at the end of the Bible, Jude chapter 1, verse 5. Jude, verse 5. Jude, verse 5. Says, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Here, he's reminding them, though they already know these things. 
You already know this, but I'm putting it before you again so that the truths, the principles, the applications, right? Those things that you need to have in your mind that are going to teach you to forsake sin and to live a righteous life are set before you again so you see how pressing it is. He's reminding them once again of truths that they already know. And so it is here in Proverbs 3 verse 1. Do not forget my teaching. I have already taught you these things. I'm reminding you of these things. Do not forget them. But rather, let your heart keep my commandments. To not forget the teaching is to keep the commandment. Right? Remembering or hearing the word of God is not some mere intellectual assent to various truths, to various stories, to historical facts and articles. It is keeping the commandments of God. It, is, it manifests itself in obedience to the word of God. The first step being faith and repentance, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of our sins, and then to keep the commandments of God, to live a life of obedience to God. Do not merely hear the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. In James chapter 1, 22 to 25. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24 to 27, that the wise man, the one who builds his house on the rock, is the one who hears the word and obeys it, who does it, who keeps it. But the one who built his house on the sand is the one who hears the word, but does not keep it. He does not obey it. There are many people who hear the word, but what separates a true believer from a false believer is the true believer keeps it. So he's reminding him, not so that he will just simply know these facts, but so he will obey them, so that he will do them, so that he will keep the commandments of God from the heart. But let your heart keep my commandments. So we're not talking about mere conformity outwardly to various rules and principles. We're talking about obedience from the heart which necessitates regeneration. It necessitates new birth, a change of heart. This is the obedience of the book of Proverbs. It is the obedience that comes from salvation, from regeneration, from a changed heart, and then that now new heart desires to obey God and to do His will. And this is what he's talking about here. Verse 2. 4. Length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Here is the blessing, the blessing with heeding the wisdom of God, not forgetting the teaching, but keeping the commandment from the heart. Length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Don't we consider someone who has a long life to be blessed? That it is a blessing to die prematurely is considered a curse or to consider uh, something that is undesirable. No one wants to die in their youth, in the prime of their life. But when someone lives to be 90 or 100 or even 105 or 110, we can, we, you know, they write articles about those people. They put it in the newspaper. It's considered to be a great blessing and an honor to have long life in that way. Well, those who heed the commandments of God, they will have length of days. How long will their days be? Eternal life. They will have eternal life with God. Yes, God does confer sometimes in this life on the righteous long life as an example or as an illustration of the eternal life that he will confer to all of his saints, to all of those who are believers. Even someone like Stephen, who died prematurely, who was cut off in his youth, in, in a younger life, he still, though he died young, he had length of days and years of life and peace added to him because he kept the commandments of God, because he walked with God. Therefore, God will give him eternal life. Though it is true as well that there are times when God gives this blessing in this life, long life, right? Isn't this the first commandment with a promise is to obey our father and mother and you will live long in the land? That, that is true. God will do that. He will do that. It's not guaranteed because it, we could die prematurely. But it is true that there are times when God does give that blessing of long life to those who are righteous. But this is to be an illustration of what he will do to all of the righteous with eternal life. Eternal life and 
peace. They will have peace. As it says in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith, and as a result, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he's talking about here. Justification by faith resulting in peace with God because all of our sins are wiped away. And when our sins are wiped away, there's no condemnation. We have eternal life with God. Verse 3, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Here, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Kindness, truth. He's talking here about the salvation of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not let these truths, the kindness of God that leads to salvation, the truth of God that results in salvation, the knowledge of salvation found in the word of God. This is where the kindness of God is found. This is where the salvation of God is found. It's found in the word of God. So don't let these things leave you. Don't forsake them. Don't neglect them. Don't leave your Bible sitting on the shelf collecting dust. Don't forget these truths and principles that you've learned in your youth. But rather hold to them. Don't neglect them. Don't let them leave you. But rather, he says, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. We need the word of God on the outside, and we need the Word of God on the inside. We need to parade it around our homes, in our life, wherever we're at. We need to have the Word of God around our neck before us, whether that's on a, a, a piece of paper that we've written it down, uh, some card that we have it in our pocket that we can pull it out. We might write it on our hand if there's some scripture verse that we need to remember for that day. Wherever it is, put it around your neck, whatever. Write it on your forehead. You need it there, always before you, visible, present, before you. We need the word of God outwardly in this way. But it's not enough that we merely hear the word outwardly. We also need it in the heart. It needs to be written on the tablet of the heart. And who is the only one that can do that? Only God by his spirit. So we need to ask him to write the word of God on our hearts. And then we need to be diligent to be reading the word of God memorizing the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, because that is the means the Spirit uses to write the Word of God on the tablet of our heart. And if the Word is in the heart, then where else is it going to be? It's going to be on our lips, it's going to be in our eyes, in our hands, in our feet. Our whole body is going to be sanctified and useful to the Master, because from the heart flow the issues of life. And if the heart of the man is right then the fruit will be right. His deeds will be right. His words, his thoughts, everything will be good and right in that man. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree evil and its fruit evil. Right? If the good man has the good word of God written on his good heart, it's going to manifest itself in good fruit. It's going to come out in every aspect of him. Deuteronomy chapter 6 Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. Actually, let's pick up in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets, uh, as uh, frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The word of God needs to be both in the heart, but also it needs to be in our mouth. It needs to be in our house. It needs to be everywhere about us. We need to be talking about it all the time, he says. And who are we supposed to talk to about it? Everyone, but here specifically, your son, your children, right? Your children, talking to them when you're sitting down in the house, when you're walking on the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, meaning at all times, all day, all, all the time, talking to your children, talking to your wife, to your husband, to your friends, to your family, to whoever will listen, about the word of God. 
and have it everywhere, all over the place, in your house, so that it will constantly be on your mind, and then it will be in your heart as well. Chapter 11, verse 18 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your son may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. This is the same as Proverbs 3, 1 to 3. You need to write these things, you need to have them about your neck, and you need to have them in your heart, and don't forget them, be talking about them all the time, talk to your family about them, and if you do, it will lead to the blessing of God. And don't we want God's blessing on our life? Do we want it on our children? Do we want it on our grandchildren? Well, where's the blessing of God found? In the Word of God. In the Word of God. The salvation of God found in the Word of God. Verse 4, this is what he says. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and men. Isn't that a blessing? To have the favor and good repute, a good reputation. First, among God. Don't we want God to think favorably of us? Don't we want to have a good reputation in the sight of God? Absolutely we do. Don't we want Jesus Christ to bring us before the Father and His angels and say, this, this slave right here, he was a faithful and a wise slave. He did the will of his Master in heaven. To have Christ commend us before the Father and His angels, before the other saints, before the whole world in that way, that's the reputation that we should see. Everyone is looking for a reputation today. Everyone wants people to say wonderful things about them. They want to make a name for themselves in the world. But who's thinking about this? Who is thinking about having a good reputation before God? To have, a, for have, to have God commend them on the day of judgment. That's what we should be desiring. The favor, the blessing of God. To have a good reputation before God, but also, he says, before man. Before man. Even in this life, we will have a good reputation before men. That when they... Uh, persecute us and they call us evildoers, they're going to be put to shame because our good reputation, our godly life will commend us in the sight of God and in the sight of men. Even wicked men, even unbelieving men will have to confess that this man is innocent. This man has done nothing wrong. He's not a troublemaker. He's not that way at all. It will be evident and seen by all. A couple of examples of this. Acts 16. Acts chapter 16. Verse 1. Acts 16.1 says, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Here, Timothy has a good reputation, doesn't he? A good reputation before God and a good reputation before man. Because the believers there, when Paul comes, they're speaking well of Timothy. They're saying to him, have you noticed Timothy? Do you know this young man? Have you seen him? Look at the way that he lives. He he is very zealous for the things of God. He's very serious. He's living a very godly life. They're recommending him to Paul, pointing him out to the Apostle Paul, which then prompts him to take him with him on his missionary journeys. And then we know that Timothy became his child in the faith, his right-hand man, and that late in his life, he's writing letters to him, commending to Timothy the ministry and passing it on to him. So here is an example of a young man who had a good reputation, he had favor with both God and man, just like our Lord Jesus Christ, right? He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God 
and man, it was said of him. Also in Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. Actually, the whole uh, first part of Romans 16 is the apostle commending, greeting various people. But we'll read verses 1 and 2 because here he's commending this sister to the church in Rome and her good reputation precedes her. Romans 16 verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is in Centria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Here, he's commending her to the church as a servant, as one who has been a helper to many, even to the apostle. Her reputation precedes her. She is one who has good favor with both God and man. And isn't that a great honor to have the apostle Paul commending you to another church, speaking so highly of, of you, because we know that he's not a flatterer. He's not someone who's lying and trying to get in the good graces of people. He is speaking truthfully before God. And this is how it will be if we believe the word of God. If we believe it and if we obey it, then we will have favor and a good reputation before both God and before man. And also Proverbs 16, Proverbs 16, verse 7 says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Even our enemies will be at peace with us if we are living a righteous life. So he's commending this in this way. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Here, this is a foundational issue. Foundational issue. This is a sin common to all. To lean on their own understanding. To think that they are wise enough, they are good enough in their own mind to do and to figure out the way that they should live, how they should conduct themselves, what they should believe, that they are the standard, their own mind, the standard of all wisdom, of goodness, of righteousness, of virtue. It all comes from them. This is what many people are like. They believe that they themselves are the fount of all wisdom. They may not say it, but most people believe this, that they believe this to be true. But who is the fount of all wisdom? The Lord is. And that's why we should trust in the Lord with all our heart. Trust in the Lord. We have to be convinced that God is a good God. God is good and that God is wise. God is good and God is wise. Psalm 119, verse 68. Psalm 119, verse 68 says, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. God, you are good and you only do good. You are trustworthy. You are faithful. Therefore, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you, Lord, and I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm not going to trust myself. I'm not going to trust other men, but I'm going to trust God. We have to have this. This is, again, the very foundation of the Christian life. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Impossible to please God without faith. We are commended by our faith. We must trust God and to trust God means that we cannot rely on anyone else but God and God alone. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot have two masters. It's either one or the other. And when someone else's word is in contradiction to the word of God, and we believe that man's word, are we not showing that we trust them over God? That we think that this person, this source, is more reliable, is better than God. That if we live this way, it's going to be better for us than if we do it God's way. But we can't do that. We have to trust God and God alone. He alone is trustworthy. And where do we have to trust him at? In all the heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
we cannot have a divided heart, a double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. But our heart must be unified, it must be complete and whole in its trust of God, in the way that we are approaching him. Psalm 119, again, Psalm 119, in verse 2. Psalm 119, verse 2 says, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their hearts. And then also verse 10, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. This is what he means here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then he says, Do not lean on your own understanding. We must believe that our wisdom, our understanding is inferior to God's understanding. That whatever comes from me is corrupted, it is vile, it is polluted, it is detestable, and God's wisdom is superior to my wisdom. His wisdom is good and my wisdom is evil. And this is again the problem. People think that they are wise. They are wise in their own eyes, and they are shrewd in their own understanding. But God and God alone is wise. Why should we not trust in our own understanding? Well, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, verse 18 says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, right? Whatever comes from me that doesn't come from the Spirit of God is not good. It's evil. It's contrary to God. So why would I trust my own understanding knowing that whatever is coming from me is proceeding from the flesh and the flesh is controlled by the devil? No, we should not do that at all. We should reject it. Also, Romans chapter 8, verse 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those in the flesh cannot please God. The flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. So why would I trust understanding that is coming from the flesh, contrary to the Spirit? No, we shouldn't do that because it is contrary to the will of God. Also, Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. Verse 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful. It is desperately sick. And that's where our understanding is coming from, from a heart like this, from the part that's not controlled by the Spirit. So why would we trust in our own understanding or the understanding of any other man? seeing that it's corrupted in this way. And that's why he says in verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge him. Not in some ways, he says, but in all ways. In all of your ways acknowledge him. This is the attitude that we should have. I want to know what does God say. I want to know what the Bible has to say. What does the Bible say about this topic or that topic? What does God say about this? And he wants to know that on every single issue. In all of your ways, he says, acknowledge him. Not in some ways, not in 99 out of 100, in all ways. I want to know what does God say about this topic, about this issue, about this value, about this situation, about the way I should live, how I should raise my children, how I should relate to my wife. What kind of woman I should marry? What kind of man I should marry? What kind of job I should have? The way I should work? Right? All of these things. The, we should want to know, what does the Bible say? What does God teach me 
about all of these things. Who cares what we think? Who cares what other men say? Right? What do they have? Cursed is the man who trusts in men. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. The cursing of God is upon a man who trusts in man, whether that be himself or whether that be any other man, and does not make the Lord his hope. We should make God our hope. We should trust in God and not trust the lies of men that are in contradiction to the word of God. Who cares what I think? Who cares what you think? Your opinion doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. All that matters is the word of God. What are God's judgments, his oracles? What does he say about this or that? We should not want to know what man says, but want to know what does God say. And again, this is a big problem as well. Because many times we are much more concerned about what people think and what people say than we are what God says. Isn't that true? People get all worked up. Their fear of man. They're afraid of what men are going to say about them, what men are going to think about them. Well, what about God? What does God think about me? What does God think about the way I'm living, what I'm saying, right? The values that I have. Who cares what man says? What does God have to say about it? So in all of our ways, we should want to acknowledge God. Acts 17, Acts 17 verse 11, this is how the Bereans were. Look at the way that they behaved. Acts 17, 11. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Their attitude is to want to know what God says. Is what this man is teaching, does that comport with the Bible? Is it consistent with what the scriptures teach? So they go to the scriptures to see whether or not these things are so. They're not leaning on their own understanding. They're trusting in the Lord. They're trusting in Him and acknowledging Him in all things. And when we do this, what will God do? He will make your paths straight. We don't want to walk in crooked paths. We don't want to go in the wrong way. We don't want to stray away from the pathway of God. Well, when we're trusting in the Lord, we're not leaning on our own understanding. We're wanting to know sincerely, what does God say about this? We're searching the scriptures daily, like the Bereans, to see if these things are so. And then we discover, okay, this is the will of God. We come to the conclusion, to the conviction, that this is what the Bible says about this topic. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what the Bible says. Is that conviction, is living according to that standard, going to lead us astray? Or is it going to put us on the straight path? Right? It's going to make our paths straight. We're going to be walking in the straight ways of the Lord, the straight paths of God, and not in the crooked ways of sin. And that's what we should want to do. The highway of holiness. A highway of holiness. That's the highway we want to walk in. That is the highway of the straight paths of the Lord. And whenever we are subjecting our mind, our heart, our life, every part of our being to the word of God, then we will have straight paths for our feet, and we won't walk in the crooked paths of sin. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35. In verse 8. says, A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks in that way. And fools will not wander on it. That sounds like a good highway to be on. There's no fools over there. Not like the highways we drive on where there's many fools on those highways. No, this is the highway of holiness. There are no unclean people on it and there are no fools on it. But only the wise, only those who trust in the Lord with all of their heart and who do not lean on their own understanding. Only those who acknowledge him in all of their ways. This is the straight path that the Lord sets before them and they walk in it. And it's safe for them. It's a place of safety because it is the highway of holiness. Also, Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews 12, verses 12 and 14. Hebrews 12, verse 12. says, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification, without which no one will see the Lord. Make straight paths, he says, for your feet. Well, where are the straight paths? In the word of God. When we live according to to the word of God. Verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Here again, he warns us of the danger. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Do not be shrewd in your own understanding. Do not do what is right in your own eyes. We cannot do this. We have to do what's right in the eyes of God. What God says is right and good. That's what we have to do. We cannot trust our own senses. We cannot trust our own reasoning, our own mind. We can't trust any of those things. Our perceptions, our feelings. Don't many people live based on their feelings? This feels good, this feels right, so that's what I'm going to do. We can't trust our feelings, our senses, our perceptions. We can't trust any of those things. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be shrewd in your own understandings. Instead, you have to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, and if your feelings contradict what the Bible says, then what do you have to do to your feelings? You have to shut them out. Throw them out. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't live. You have to crucify them and get rid of them. If your perception, your senses, what you're saying, oh, this feels so good, it seems so right, but it's contrary to the Word of God, then we have to get rid of that. We have to crucify it and say, this is evil, this is wrong, I can't do this, right? I have to reject it, and I have to do what the Word of God says. Isaiah chapter 5. This is, again, a big problem today because the world is telling us to just do what feels good, what makes you feel good, what seems right, just whatever, right? You just be you. No, don't be you. By all means, do not be you. <clears throat> be Christ. That's right. Live to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Live as Christ. That's who we should want to be, not ourselves. Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. There, evil is good, good is evil. Darkness is light, light is darkness. Bitter is sweet, sweet is bitter. This is what we see today. This is what is happening in our world and in the churches today. What is dark they say is light. What is actually light, they say is dark. What is bitter, they say is sweet. What is sweet, and according to Psalm 119 this morning, the word of God is sweet. They say, oh, no, no, that's very bitter. This is the way they are. Everything's backwards with these people. And what is the problem? They are wise in their own eyes, and they are shrewd in their own understanding. They think they're very clever, that they have great insight, but every insight, every impulse they have is actually contrary to what is true and what is righteous. This is what the heart of man is like. And if we live according to our own wisdom, this is what will happen to us. So we can't be wise in our own eyes. We're going to be destroyed if that's the case. Instead, we have to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I'm not going to trust my eyes, but I'm going to trust the eyes of the Lord. And I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to fear him. And as a result, I'm going to turn away from evil, even though my flesh is telling me, oh, this would be good and great. Oh, this would be a wonderful life to live. No, I'm not going to live according to my flesh. I'm going to live according to the word of God and what he says to be true and right. Verse 8, it will be healing for your body and refreshment to your bones. Is it ever bad for us to do the will of God? 
to live a righteous life? No, it's good for us, for both body and soul, for both body and soul. And here he's using the body as a description of the whole man, right? Of what happens when we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and we're living a godly life, right? It's good for us. This is good. This is what is great for us. It's good for our whole being in order for us to live this way. Whenever our sins are forgiven and we're justified and we are doing what's right in the sight of God. We sang that earlier from Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, He talks about this in verse 8. Make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. That's when he talks about healing here, uh, healing for your body, refreshment for your bones. Well, that's when we have the salvation of God upon our life. That's what he's talking about here in Proverbs chapter 3. Then verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all of your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. One of the clearest indicators of whether or not a person is thinking right before God, living rightly before God, is the way they deal with their money. You can tell a lot about the heart of man by the way they handle their money what they think about God, what they think about themselves, whether or not they are servants of God, slaves of Christ. Well, what do we need to do with our wealth? We need to honor God. Honor God with our wealth, the first fruits of all your produce. We honor God first by giving to him the first fruits of what he's given to us. Then we give to God the tenth, the tithe that belongs to the Lord as a way of showing our recognition and belief that everything we have has come from God. Every gift I have, every dollar I make, who gave me the ability to make that? Who, where did it come from? If the cattle produce and you have many cattle, they come from God. If you progress in your job, it comes from God. If you receive a big inheritance, it comes from God. And I show my understanding and my belief that every good gift I have comes from God by honoring him with my wealth, the first fruit of my produce. By first setting aside and giving to the Lord what is his due. Not that it all doesn't belong to God. All of it is God's. And this is my way of showing my recognition that all of this comes from you. But then also honoring him in the way I spend it, in the way that I use it. Not going out squandering it at the casino or with prostitutes, or with wicked living. We shouldn't do that with the wealth God has given us, but use it in the proper way to raise our families, to be a benefit to our families, to help the church, to be a benefit to other people, right? Using it for righteous means in the proper way, right? The one who does this, right? This is a very tangible way of showing whether we are a slave of Christ or not, whether we understand our relationship to God properly or whether we don't. And the result of that is your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Typically, the reason people refuse to give to the Lord is because, well, they're thieves, for one, and they're also stingy. They're stingy. They can't afford to, is what they'll say. We just can't afford to. But what does God do with the one who is generous? He blesses him. He gives him more. Now, again, he can do that in this life, He's not teaching prosperity gospel here, like the false churches that say, if you send me $1,000, then God will give you 10000 It doesn't work like that. But here, the true understanding is, if we give to the Lord, then God will bless us. It, it can be materially, but it will most certainly be spiritually. It will most certainly be spiritually. God has blessed some with riches who are faithful to the Lord, but not all. Not all. That's not always the case. But regardless of whether we are poor or rich, like the widow in Luke 21 who gave her might, did God bless her? Yes, absolutely. She received a commendation from the Lord. Jesus pointed her out. She gave more than all the rest. We don't know if God gave her a million dollars after that. Likely not. But he did give her the blessing and the honor. And this is what he's talking about. It can be materially, but it most certainly is spiritually. In the sight of God. Proverbs eleven twenty five 
says, the generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. A generous man will be prosperous before the Lord. We should be generous. We should be liberal in the right way. Not like the liberals in uh, Washington, D.C. We don't want to be like that. But a true liberal is one who is liberal, generous with what he has. The liberals in Washington are generous with what they don't have, right? They're generous with your money, with my money, but not their own money. They, they actually enrich themselves at our expense. We don't want to be like that. But to have what is ours, but to use it liberally, generously for others. Then the prosperity will be upon that person. God will bless that person in many, many ways. Also in Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, Malachi 3 verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grape, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So they, are, they were robbing God by withholding the tithes and offerings that God required of them. They were not honoring God with their wealth or the first fruits of their produce. And the result is God was cursing them, giving them blight, depriving them, not giving them prosperity. They never could get ahead. And then they're wondering, why can't we ever get ahead? Because you're robbing from God. You think God's going to bless that person? No, of course not. But here, if we are generous and we give to God what is his due, right? It's all his anyway. It is what we owe to him, then God gives his blessing. And then verse 11 and 12, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Don't reject the discipline of the Lord. Whenever he's telling him here that even if you're doing the will of God, it's not always going to be comfort, ease, blessing, prosperity. There is the blessing of God that will be upon your life, but there also are going to be hardships. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be sufferings. There's going to be persecutions. Well, when this happens to the believer, it's happening from the Father as discipline for us. And we should not despise the discipline of God. We should not loathe, detest his reproof. But rather, we have to have the proper perspective. The one that the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. A father who disciplines his son, does he do so because he hates him? Because he dislikes beating him? No, not a good father. Now, of course, there are horrible fathers out there, but a good father, one who truly loves his son, he doesn't do those things because he loves that, because he loves to inflict pain and punishment on his children. He does those things because he knows that if he withholds discipline, the kid's going to be a spoiled brat. Okay? He's going to be a blight and a detriment to society. He has to discipline him because folly is bound up in the heart of the child. And the only way to drive it out of them is through the rod of discipline. It is his love for his son that compels him to discipline him. Now, I say that because many people will say that their love for their children compels them not to discipline them. But if they don't discipline them, according to the Bible, they don't love their children. And it's manifested later in life when they're in prison, right? Because they are lawless people. Would you rather get a spanking on your hiney as a child or go to prison the rest of your life? I would take the spanking, right? That's what the kids need. Okay, it says so in Proverbs 13, 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Diligently. If you withhold the rod, the Bible says you hate the son. They'll say, no, 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 I don't hate my children. I love my children. That's why I could never spank them. Well, according to God, you hate your children if you withhold the rod. 
And if you love them, you discipline them. And here discipline is what? Not withholding the rod, meaning giving them the rod diligently. Not sporadically, not here and there, but diligently, consistently, faithfully disciplining the children. Okay, that's what the fathers do for the children in this life. Well, isn't God our father? And we all had fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Well, shouldn't we respect God our father who disciplines us according to his own will, according to his wisdom? He does this. We should not despise this discipline that comes from God, but rather we should submit under it, just as Job did. Job received discipline from the Lord. God tested him as a father tests his son. And this is what God does to all of his children. If God does not do this for us, then it proves that we're not his children. We're illegitimate. We are stillborn. Because those whom he loves, he disciplines. Hebrews chapter 12. This is quoted in Hebrews. Hebrews 12, verse 4. Hebrews 12.4 says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? Remember what we read earlier? Do not forget. Remind you. I'm reminding you of these things. He's reminding them of Proverbs 3, what we just read. Have you forgotten this exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? Because they're struggling under their afflictions. They're wondering. They're questioning. Does God love us? Where is God in all of this? We should turn away from this and go back to our old ways because then we never had any sufferings. Why is this happening to us? And he's saying, what's wrong with you people? Don't you know? Haven't you read? Didn't you read in Proverbs chapter 3 in Sunday school, right, that God disciplines his children? He addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he delights. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Where does this happen? In a faithful, good family. It always happens. What son is not disciplined by his father? Well, he tells us, if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness." Right, We all had fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Maybe not at the moment, because I said some pretty stupid things in the moment, like, if I ever have children, I'll never do this to them. But then when I got my children, I was like, oh, I can't wait. No, I'm just kidding. I said, no, I have to, right? I have to. And later on in life, I said, I'm glad my parents disciplined me, because I see these other people and the way they live, and I know that it was the fear of father that kept me from a lot of sin, that kept me from a lot of trouble in high school and in college and later on because there was discipline there. And we respect them for this. And they did it as seemed best to them. They did it to the best of their ability. But can an earthly father ever perfectly discipline their children? No, because we still have our failings in our flesh. But what about God? He disciplines us perfectly according to his will and his wisdom. So why should we reject it? Seeing it brings good, it trains us, and brings about the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Yes, it's hard in the moment, momentarily, it's sorrowful. No child is saying, oh, I, I love getting a spanking. No, no one thinks like that, unless they're crazy, right? Well, it's the same with the Christian. No one says, oh, I, I want people to throw me in prison. I hope they come plunder my property. I hope that somebody slugs me in the face, or beats me, or kills me. No, no one thinks like that. It's hard in the moment, but then afterwards, it produces the fruit of righteousness. And then we say, I'm glad it happened. Look, it benefited me. It produced a good fruit in me, and it was for my benefit. And this is the way it has to be 
in our thinking of discipline toward the Lord. God disciplines every son. And if we are without discipline, then we are illegitimate. We are illegitimate children and not uh, of the Lord. So for God to love us is for God to discipline us, and we should not reject it. And he does so through his word, through his word and through afflictions, afflictions, hardships, and sufferings. So let us then bear up under these things and not forsake the Lord. And the way we will endure them is through the word of Christ, through the word of Christ and believing the word of God. So this is what he's commending to us. So let's walk in the ways, the pathway of righteousness, the highway of holiness, trusting in the Lord with all of our heart, not leaning on our own understanding, acknowledging him in all of our ways, and he will be the one who directs our paths in that way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, again, we do pray, just as we've been reminded, Lord, even today, over and over again, that your word is where your wisdom is found. And that, Lord, our wisdom, our understanding, the wisdom of this world, it will lead to ruin, to destruction, to death, to misery. Lord, help us to see that. Make it so clear to us. Lord, that anything outside of your word, Lord, any wisdom that contradicts your word, Lord, will lead to our destruction. Lord, that we would believe every word of God and not add to it and not take away from it. So, Lord, may we trust in you with all of our heart and lean not in our own understanding. Lord, we pray that we would acknowledge you in all of our ways and we ask for you to direct our paths. Lord, guide us into all truth. And Lord, cause us to walk in your ways. Lord, be with us as we go from here today. We ask for safety as we travel home. Lord, that you continue to bless us this Lord's day. And that, Lord, you would help us this week to be faithful to you. And Lord, to walk in the path of righteousness. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.